Barry, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm great. So so good to meet you and good to see you. <laughs> yes, it is good to uh, to finally meet you. We had talked, uh, I think, uh, on the phone maybe a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I had shared with you how I had one of your books back. Uh, I started a preacher training program at the Dowland Road Church of Christ in Beaumont, Texas in 2009. So that went from 2009 to 2011. And uh, had one of your books, and now we've come full circle, where uh, Melanie Kilgore actually gave me your name. She was on the podcast maybe about a month ago, and she said, you have to have Barry on the show. So I said, okay, I'm going to reach out to him. So thank you for being here. Uh, that's great. Well, Melanie and I are, uh, uh, and and Jason are just uh, the best, best of friends. They've made a uh, huge impact in my life and done, done so much, I, I think, to just enhance uh, a, a picture of what, what God's people ought to be. I, I really, really love them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a blessing for sure. Well, I'd like for you to start off, Barry, um, to just give us some background. Um, I know a little bit about you, and uh, we can definitely learn a, a lot more about you during this mm -hmm. show. Uh, you've been preaching now for a number of years. Has it been 50 years? Is that correct? Uh, actually, I've completed 51 years and uh, yeah. pretty pretty well into the 52nd. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. Started so, when I was uh, 22 uh, years old. So uh, tell us, how did you get started when you were 22? Give us uh, the lay of the land, about three to five minutes of how you've gotten to this point here. Well, I, I actually... Um, was uh, I was I was a uh, uh, ag business major mm. in California. Grew up in California, and uh, was an ag business major. And of course, Vietnam War was going on. All of that. Uh, <clears throat> I got to the point where I just uh, uh, basically barely escaped the war, only because they got a uh, they did a lottery. <laughs> Most people probably don't know that, but they did a lottery around 1968, I think it was, 69, something like that. And, uh, you know, they just chose birth dates. And if you got a birth, if your birth date landed within the first uh, 175 to 200 birth dates that they drew, uh, that uh, you were you were going to Nam. And uh that was uh, was not something I especially was excited about, <laughs> but uh, I had I was finishing up school and I knew I was going to be uh, probably in that in that situation anyway. I got number three hundred and nineteen, hmm. and therefore uh, I was out. Didn't didn't have to go. So uh, just about the time I was about twenty units away, the preacher where I was uh, preaching, he said, "Hey, there's a lady." Uh, 50 miles away out on the edge of the desert in Lake Elsinore, California. Her name is Bernice. And she's been out there seven years trying her best to get a church going. And uh, she's had, uh, in fact, she's she had had at that particular time around 50 preachers who had gone out there just to preach a sermon and help her out, etc. But nobody had stuck with her uh, to, to keep it going. Her husband was an alcoholic. Um, and uh, struggled terribly with alcoholism. Uh, he was nice enough to, uh, he was a very, I loved Charlie. He was just a very grouchy guy though, because of his, <laughs> his alcoholism. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, Charlie, you know, Bernice would, would bug him. I, you, you moved me out here and there's no church. And so he, he bought a little house and he's a great, uh, he, he was good in construction and stuff like this. He bought a house 
uh, around the corner from where they lived and, and uh, fixed it all up and stuck a sign outside, outside and said, there, have your church. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so Bernice, uh, she went about for the, last, for the seven years before I came involved, she just went about trying to tell everybody she could about the Lord. Well, yeah, you're a woman by yourself and you're talking somebody, you know, some young guy. Uh, 50 miles away to come out and uh, do a lesson and stuff like this. Anyway, this preacher where I was, he urged me to go out there and help mm -hmm. out. And uh, so I started going on Sundays. And uh, so uh, <clears throat> Bernice told me about four or five years later, she said, after you gave that first lesson, she said, you know, I'd been praying for seven years that somebody, that God would send somebody out here and help me. And she says, after that first lesson, I went back to God in prayer. I'm like, really? I looked at her and I said, yeah, I no, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. But anyway, we, uh, she, she, after about three months there, I will never forget the day, and this answers your question, but I will never forget the day in which she, uh, she said, uh, she said, Barry, I need you to, I, I, I'm teaching 15 women in a ladies class on Wednesday mornings, and I need, they, all their husbands want to come too, and I just don't feel comfortable teaching all, you know, that many people and all these men and, you know, their husbands, I mean, I, I just, it just, uh, I'm great with teaching women, but that just, that just doesn't uh, fit well. And she says, yeah. so I need you to come out and start teaching that class on Wednesday mornings at 10. And I looked at her and I said, well, Bernice, if I did that, I'd have to quit school. I'm only just 15, 20 units away from getting my degree. And, 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 and if, I, if I did that, I'd have to quit school. And Bernice, who at the time was 54 years old, and I'm 22, and she looks at me and she goes, I don't think you heard what I said. <laughs> we have 15 or more people that need the gospel and I need you to come out and teach it. Mm. Are you going to come out and teach it or what? And I said, well, but, but I have this school. I went and, and she cocks her head and looks at me and goes, I don't care about your school. I care about these souls. And I went, well, okay, I guess I quit school. <laughs> and that was that. Wow. And I never, and I never, I've never looked back. I, I never looked back and I've never, uh, never regretted that decision. And in fact, um, that woman uh, became the most important woman in my life uh, to teach me how to love people who don't have the gospel and how to get the gospel out. She was yeah. amazing. Yeah. So that that's, that's really how it all started. Yeah. Now, so we have to talk more about Bernice because when I was just yes. looking you up a little bit on the internet, you know, I, I, I came across some of these articles. So Bernice, no doubt was just, as you mentioned, was a huge influence. Uh, do you recall, how did she come to the Lord? Uh, what was her story oh. to get her to this point? At that, <laughs> that point. Yeah, that that's that's also uh, really really a great story. So Bernice, that back in she this was this goes back to 1940. As a matter of fact, when she uh, uh, she had met Charlie, they were engaged to be married, and um, she uh, she was a she loved to dance. She would mm -hmm. dance all night. You know, Bernice was not 
you know, you, she wasn't, she didn't live an immoral life in, in the sense of some grossly immoral life or anything, but, but she did love go dancing. Oh man, she just, you know, she just, she's <laughs> an extremely active woman, you know. Um, if you had, if you had seen her at age 85, you, you would have thought she was 50. She mm. was just as taut as she could be. You could grab the back of her arm and it was just, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, she, that was where she was. And, and, uh, uh, Easter time was coming up. Neither of them ever were involved in any kind of church. Well, Charlie had a friend who was Catholic and his Catholic friend said, Charles, I want you to make sure, do me a favor and make sure and go to church on Easter Sunday. I just want you to go. Mm. And so Charles went to Bernice and said, pick a church. <laughs> That's just the way wow. he would talk. Pick a church. Yeah. <laughs> we're going yeah. to church. I told my friend I'd go, so we're going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh bernice looked in the newspaper and she's looking at all these denominational names and she came to one name that said christian church mm. she said well if i'm going anywhere i'm going to go to one that's christian <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course even back in the back in the 40s christian churches were you know as far as teaching salvation correctly they were right down the line there's mm -hmm. absolutely no problem with that at all and yeah so anyway, she, she picked it and they went to church and Bernice said there was a short, fiery preacher that by the time he got done with his lesson, she and Charles walked out on the front porch of that building and looked at each other and said, and Bernice looked at Charles and said, you know, Charles, I think we're lost. <laughs> I, think, I think we're lost. Yeah. And Charles went, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> wow. That's great. And, uh, they got married um, the 1st of June and the 1st of July, they were both baptized. And it wasn't long after that, that Charles, uh, he, he was a, um, uh, he, he was part of the uh, Army Corps of Engineers and they, they sent him to Panama. Uh, <clears throat> there was something about Bernice marrying Charles because everywhere he went and everywhere he took her, there was no church. Mm. And that God used Bernice and that situation to start a church. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so moved so everywhere they went, they, they started a new congregation. That's right. That's right. Charles wasn't a little, wasn't really part of it. Bernice just did it by herself. Yeah. So yeah. this is, you know, this is, I, I love to talk about evangelism and I'd emailed you uh, to, to talk about something else as well. But this is always something that I think is really important. We have a number of uh, Christians, I'm sure, who are listening to the podcast, there's something unique, but it's not really unique with Bernice. You know, you look at the first century church, you know, you had individuals, not just the apostles, but I think about uh, the church in Thessalonica or others like Philip and just so many people who would share their faith uh, and talk about Jesus. What, what made Bernice so different than some of the other brethren that maybe you've come across, not to talk bad about brethren, but, you know, there are some, uh, I'm thinking about a brother in Christ uh, named Wesley in, uh, in Beaumont, Texas, where, you know, he'll go up to somebody in Walmart and he'll say, well, you're the one. And uh, they're looking at him, he's like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I prayed to God that I could talk to a person today and you're the one. And he'll just strike up a conversation. He'll get a Bible study set up. And I saw that for years, you know, working with them. What, with the time that you had with Bernice and how long did you guys work together? We worked together about nine and a half years. Okay. So with the time that you had with Bernice, 
what was it that stood out to you? Was it just her, uh, her boldness or courage? Uh, you know, people are always looking for formulas. I don't think there's necessarily a set formula, right, when it comes to, to reaching the lost. Um, what was it that stood out to you about her? Well, um, she, she had a, a tremendous positive belief mm -hmm. that God's word could change anybody. Mm -hmm. She never, ever believed that somebody would say no. She always believed they would say yes. I grew up with members of the church, leadership, et cetera. If I heard it once, I probably heard it uh, 200 times in the time I was growing up. Well, you can't teach them. They're fill in the blank. Mm. It really didn't matter what it was. You know, maybe they were part of a denomination or maybe they were, they drank or maybe they, you know, whatever. But you can't teach them because you know, we, we, they were seem people seem to be looking for the perfect person. Uh, always reminded me of Jesus saying about the uh, Pharisees, you, you, you span land and sea to find one proselyte and then making two for both the child of hell that you are. <laughs> and, and just not a love and uh, not a trust that God could change a heart, not a trust that his word would change a heart, not a belief that that some anything could change we we just he we just got on our minds that and bernice didn't have that i i will never forget we we went and visited a couple one time we bernice would drag me all over town uh, we'd go visit people that she had a lead on and uh, we went into the house and we talked for probably 30 40 minutes something like that and bernice actually talked them into having a bible study and i said very little but we got out in the car um, I, I looked at her and I said, Bernice, we're never going to convert them there. Mm. And she hit me with her purse. <laughs> she, she literally turned around and she went, whack. Yeah. <laughs> she just, don't you ever say that again? Mm. God can change these people. And you don't understand the, I'll she says, I'll tell you what, these people are going to be Christians in six months. I'll tell you, that's exactly right. They're going to be Christians six months. You don't know what you're talking about. And I don't want to ever hear you say that again. Whack. And she hit me again with a purse. Yeah. And I said, okay, okay, okay. Don't hit me with your purse. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they did, they became Christians within six months. Yeah. Uh, I, she taught me to realize that it didn't matter who they were and it didn't matter how bad their sins were. And of course, we read this in the scriptures all the time. Who yeah. are the people who came to Christ? They were some of the worst sinners ever. They were the ones that gathered to. Who were the people you had the worst time? He had the worst time with. Well, it was, they were the people who were religious, were yeah. set in their ways, who, who believed that their salvation was good. Yeah. And uh, and she just never took it that way. And so she we, we would, you know, we'd make calls all day, sometimes do some Bible studies. And she'd say, I got to stop by the store on the way home and, uh, and uh, to get some stuff to fix for dinner for Charles. And we'd be standing in line and she, the, the lady behind her or front of her, you know, she'd turn around and go, you know, there's something familiar about you. You know, did, do, have we met before? You know, and then that's like you said, just start the conversation. Yeah. I'm terrible at that. I'm, yeah. I can, I'm just like, I can talk to people, but just like cold like that. I, I'm I don't I'm much better than I used to, but yeah. nobody matched what Bernice uh, just just her ability to talk to a complete total stranger. Yeah. See, some of that is: do we walk into a grocery store 
and see something or any place in public and see people and really see them. Yep. I was thinking about Jesus saying to Simon, do you see this woman? Mm. You didn't see her, Simon. Yeah. And, uh, and do we see them and, and, and realize these people, these people could be lost. Yep. And here I am, maybe, maybe God, you open a door here. That's, that's a hard one for us to change our brains. Through. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley would always say, open your eyes, open your mouth, open your Bible. Okay. And, and, and yeah. I picked that from him too. I did a sermon yeah. called, it's not rocket science, simple <laughs> ways to reach the loss. And it's so true. You know what Bernice asked you to do, or maybe told you to do right when uh, you were still in college, that, that stood out to me as well because, and we were talking about this before we hit the record button, you know, our lives are very busy. And uh, did you ever go back to school to finish those 15, 20 credits? No. no. Yeah, you just kept on moving forward. I think that's something that a lot of people today, it, it seems to be maybe the, the opposite, where, you know, just hearing this intensity that she had and the focus that she had, where it wasn't just going into a grocery store, it's, it's looking for these opportunities. I want to talk a little bit, I have a couple of questions. One, with you preaching for 51 years now, I just hit 13 years full-time, and uh, I was preaching part-time. I was working full-time with uh, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals for about eight years and uh, helping a congregation out, so preaching uh, two or three times a month, um, probably a few years after I started with Pfizer, about five years, actually. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, the sermons were, were pretty bad. But 51 years, talk to us a little bit about this balance, this longevity that you've been able to have. That's a long time. That's a lot of work. And obviously, it's, it's, it's work for the kingdom of God. Um, how have you been able to navigate 51 years of preaching? What does that, what, what has that entailed for you? Um, I'll never forget my mom talking about my uncle, Mac Kerchival. He, he preached in Spanish, uh, in El Paso, Texas, yeah. and did a lot of work down even in Mexico and, and, and even into Chile and, and things like that. And mom would always say, you'll notice how Matt goes about his job. He, he is like a, an old workhorse out in the field, plowing a field. Uh, he doesn't try to go too fast. This is not a, it's not a hundred yard dash. He just every day gets up and plows the field. And, and I, that always stuck in my mind, uh, get up every day and plow the field. Don't, uh, don't try to look at, well, I've got this many years or how am I going to get done with this or whatever? I don't know. And how am I going to handle this? Uh, okay. Just get up every day. Do like Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, today is the day. Don't look at tomorrow mm. and uh, try to do that. And I'm, you know, I haven't been always real successful in that. You, we always have some really, really stressful times in our life and, and huge trials. And I've gone through some real doozies yeah. <laughs> at time, but that's what, that's what God brings you through to make you, make you better and make you stronger. But, um, you know, a lot of it, I, I think, well, I say a lot of it, all of it is, all of it is, is I have had ingrained in me from the time I was young with my parents. They were very, very devoted, very dedicated. Uh, my dad preached until he was 22 years old and then had a brain hemorrhage and never could preach again. Died when he was 44. We learned early on, and my mom was great at this. We learned early on, you, you trust God. 
You just, you just do what you're supposed to do and you trust God and he's going to bring you through everything. Mm. It's going to be miserable at times, but he's going to bring you through it. (laughs) You are just going to be in agony at times. You're going to be, you know, uh, you might not be as bad as Job, but but you're you're going to feel like you're as bad as Job and, uh, uh, but God will get you through. And that, that, uh, that, that kind of trust and passion uh, I love, love, love to study the Bible. I love to study it and I love to teach it and I love to share it. And I'm not a happy person if I can't share the gospel. I'm just, it's just no fun. And, and, and I, uh, I love that and that passion built in me so much between my parents and Bernice and, uh, and of course, many other people who've uh, helped me along the way. But that kind of passion, it, it's like somebody says to me, would you ever thought about retiring? Uh, no. Yeah. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, I, now, God's going to make me retire one day. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> but, right. Yeah. But uh, that, that's that. But, uh, but I, I can't imagine. What do you, what do you want me to do? I, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Uh, most important thing that I think Christians need today is to have a greater passion, have such a passion for God that when you enjoy some of the things in life, and obviously God gives us a lot of things to enjoy, and he says he does in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 17, 18. Um, but when I enjoy them, there's, it's nothing compared to the enjoyment I get in God. Do you enjoy God? You know, John... John Piper talks a lot about that, and and, yeah. uh, and and you know John Piper and I would disagree on what you do to be saved or something like that, but Piper talks about I think such an important point that it should be a part of our lives. Do you enjoy God? Do you desire God? Do you love God? Yeah. I had a situation um, a number of years ago at a different church. Uh, when I when I got there, I, I preached like I usually preach, which is. Um, uh, really textual sermons. I, I stick textual almost all the time. And, and, uh, and in these textual sermons, I'm trying to show people God I, because he's all the way through the Bible. This is like Jesus with the two on the road to Emmaus. I'm going to show you me all the way through the Bible. And so that's what I was doing. And I had three ladies, they were all about 80 years old and they'd been in the church all their life. And they came up to me and surrounded me at the back. And uh, I looked at them and I said, well, ladies, looks like you got something to say. (laughs) And they kind of looked at each other sheepishly and they said, you know, for the last three years, we've been trying to figure out what is the, what in the world you're doing and you're preaching? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish here? Hmm. And she says, they said in the last six months, we've tried, we finally figured it out. I said, Oh, okay. And they said, for the first time in our lives, we can honestly say we love God. Mm. You've shown us God. And I thought, there's nothing more anybody can do. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah. That your love and passion for God has gotten so high that you're, you, 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 your inwards just desire him. You cannot wait to be with him. You cannot wait to time with him. Um, you, you're so excited to be able to have that. I, 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 sometimes it's actually 
a little bit of a negative <laughs> just because so, like my wife will say, aren't you enjoying yourself? We're out here. And I said, yeah, of course I am. Mm. It doesn't seem like you're enjoying yourself enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. I'm enjoying myself. But there's nothing like the joy yeah. of knowing more about him. There's mm. just nothing like that. Yeah. And I have I am so frustrated right now. I'm 73. I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be 74 in just about three months. And yeah. I'm running out of time. And the more I study, the more I realize I'm running out of time because there's yeah. so much more to learn. I know. He is like the galaxy. He is like the galaxies. He's like the universe. Yeah. There's no telescope big enough to, to be able to discover all there is. Yeah. And I, I, uh, that, that's my passion. That's my passion to have more Christians know that. And, and that's everything I want to give. Uh, uh, it, it's 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 everything as far as yeah. what you do in life and and that's what the see now the, here's the deal yeah you look in the book of acts and you go look at all these people look at how they're they, they're baptized and as soon as they're baptized they're not telling somebody else well did they go through some kind of uh evangelism training did they uh have a evangelism weekend did they have a <laughs> no no they are so excited about their salvation. They can't stand it. They got to tell somebody else. They're so excited about their sins being forgiven. They got to tell somebody else. That was Bernice. That was Bernice. She was saved from the life she would have lived and all of her life to her dying breath. That was her passion. This is so By good. Way, do you mind if I just mention one other thing about Bernice? No, no, please, please share. So, when she was 82, 79, excuse me, she was 79 years old. She had a massive heart attack. I wasn't working with her anymore. I was living in San Diego about 80 miles away. She had a massive heart attack. I get a call by the local preacher there. He's a good friend of mine. And he said, the doctors will say she probably won't make it because it's really big. And I said, okay, well, she's, he says, you can't get in, in the, this tonight. It was at night. You know, she had the heart attack right, right in Sunday night services. And uh, I said, well, I'll be there tomorrow morning. I'll just get up early and come in the morning. And he goes, okay. So I got there and her daughter was a intensive care nurse. Nobody was allowed in to see her, but her daughter got me in. And I took her hand and she was really, really weak. And I looked at her and I said, Bernice, it looks like uh, you had a rough time last night. You know, very slowly she spoke and she looked at me and she said, yeah, they did that uh, put me on that heart monitor. And I thought, just my luck, get one that's broken. <laughs> I was doing that. The next words that came out of her mouth, she said, but I think I've got a class with my intensive care nurse. I could, I just like, this woman is ready to die. And she can't stand it. She's got to tell one more person. Yeah. God blessed her. And she made through that and lived to be 104. Uh, but, you know, who among us would have thought of that at that moment? We're just thinking about me. Just get me well. That's all we're thinking about. Am I thinking about her? That's what she was. And uh, what a lesson. 
That, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And these stories are so powerful. And, you know, it's always interesting. You look at some of the, uh, the books that, that are out in the world. I, I had a, a friend, she gifted me a book, uh, The Blue Zones Challenge. And it looks, it looks at these places around the world where people live, you know, to a very old age, 100 and above. So one of the things that stood out to you or to me was when you were speaking with Bernice, living to 104 years old, one of the things that they talk about is that uh, these individuals have a purpose, you know, so when they wake up, they have a purpose of I'm getting up for a reason. I'm just not getting up just to say, well, it's just another day. And that's something for all of us as Christians to really grasp that we already have our purpose uh, in Christ and for her to have this zeal and this passion no doubt certainly helped her but it was always more than just about her you know with trying to hit a certain age you know it was about her trying to reach uh lost people which is something that all of us and maybe sometimes we just overlook that as well people are looking for their purpose you know what am i supposed to do with my life well well god has already given us those instructions uh you know being a part of the kingdom of god we already know our uh marching orders so you said a couple of things that uh, I want to follow up on, you know, I've been reading this book or listening to a book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I've listened to it a couple of times. Uh, there's a lot of things I agree with. There, I'm sure there's some doctrinal things with this guy that, uh, that I would not agree with, but um, it, one of the things that he mentioned was sometimes Christians may struggle, like even with worship, because there's a lack of attention. You know, our attention span has just decreased. And, and even sometimes the, uh, the lack of awareness. And I guess I'm trying to connect this with what you were talking about with enjoying God. Uh, with 51 years of preaching, it sounds like you've been a Christian longer than 51 years. Can you share with the audience any tangible things? People are always looking for, okay, how can I, you know, how can I uh, have this enjoyment? And it, like those women that, that talk to you, it took them three years, three and a half years to figure that out or however long. Um, what gets in the way of us enjoying God? Uh, and then what are some things that we can do to foster this relationship, to, to grow in this relationship? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think first and foremost, um, we have initially, obviously, in our life, in our lives, we've always found the enjoyment, and this is a natural part of growth. We're exploring things. We're seeing new things in life, and it gets a kick. Uh, goodness, I, I uh, loved motorcycles. Uh, I rode for many, many years on the street and got off that because I decided I didn't want to be a vegetable. <laughs> but, uh, but still dirt bike riding, you know, and, and still do some of that. And, and so it's you you get all this uh, outside physical influence and you it gets it gets addicting what's the new thing people have bucket lists and things like this what's this new thing but one of the things that has i think been missed we uh in our uh fellowship and this is not just our fellowship i think this, this is in lots of different uh, christian organizations uh we have not uh, sought God in the kind of depth that's revealed in scriptures. And when I say depth, I'm not talking about hard stuff. I mean, just get beyond the surface of, of reading just to find out what's right and wrong, what's the right side of an issue, 
Uh, what does God want me to do morally? How can I be a better person? Uh, I see so many sermons that are what I would call just self-help sermons. I could find the same uh, encouragement from a self-help book that I'd find in the library. Uh, so this, this is what we, we, we tend to focus on. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a number of texts that I would go to to show that, but probably the best to me is 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're very accustomed to verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we go, yeah, got that. Yeah. How about verse 14 and 15? <laughs> verse 14, 15, Paul tells Timothy, I want you to continue in the things that you have been taught and the things that came from the Holy Scriptures. And he refers to the Old Testament in those, in those works, the Holy Scriptures. And there and this is what he says. He's because they, want you now, now remember the word continue. Yeah. We're going to circle that word. I want you to continue mm -hmm. in this. I'm taking notes. Yeah, continue in this. And why? Because those scriptures will make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah. If you had asked me when I started preaching, what part of the Bible should you go to in order to become wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus? I'd have said the New Testament. New Testament. Of course. Yeah. And Paul said, no, that's the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. You can become wise into salvation through faith in Christ Jesus from the Old Testament. We've used the Old Testament just like, oh, yeah, it fulfilled this prophecy, it fulfilled this prophecy, it fulfilled this prophecy, just like mechanical yep. and not really seeing God. Jesus does that with the Pharisees. John 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures. Yep. Or in them you think you have eternal life. Now, if you just put a period right there, I'd go, well, yeah. You search the scriptures for anything you think you, they do that. They, the scriptures give you eternal life. And that way, where am I, am I missing here? No, no, no. The rest of the sentence. And that's what speaks of me. And you never saw me. How do you read the Old Testament? I wrote an article a number of years ago, and I preached a sermon off of it too. I just entitled it this. You read, you've read your Bible. Did you see God? Did you see God? We're reading it from the wrong perspective. And if we read it to really see God, then there's going to be a major difference. And and and, and I know right at first, you, anybody who hasn't done that, and and it was true for me. How 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 do I get it so I see God? Um, maybe one of the things that I can struck me the most to help me transition to that was I was reading the book of Judges one day, reading Judges chapter ten. In Judges chapter ten, God says. Okay, well, Israel's been afflicted for years by these, you know, this nation and, and the Canaanites and all this because they haven't been worship. They've been worshiping every idol there is. <laughs> you know, they start with Baals and Asherah. By the time they get to chapter ten, every god on the face of the universe is now their god. They're been, yeah, yeah. like the Athenians; they've gone bananas. <laughs> And yet they've been afflicted so badly that finally they go to God and, and they, like they do in the book of Judges a jillion times, they finally go to God and say, okay, help me. And God, for the first time, says, no, not going to do it. Go talk to your gods. Have them help you. Yeah. And they go, no, no, we, we want you. And he, he said, no, not going to do it. And, and you, you know, as you're reading Judges, you're just shocked. All of a sudden, wait a minute. What happened to God helping them? 
and they turn around and the people knowing that God still said, said no, the people just turn around and go, well, we're, we're going to do what's right anyway. And they get rid of their idols and they, and they sacrifice to God and the whole thing. And the scripture says, and this is especially good in the, in the, in the Christian standard Bible, the way the translation is, God could no longer stand the misery of Israel. And he rescued them. Did I read that text just to see, oh yeah, Israel's in idolatry, Israel plead to God, typical Israel, God responded to Israel. Or do I really see God? He saw their misery and he couldn't stand it any longer. That's our God. And he, his love for us is beyond my ability, your ability, anybody's ability to be able to verbalize, feel, understand, comprehend in our heads. And everything in the Bible is that way. There are no Bible Hebrews except God. I hate it when we read Hebrews 11 and go, look at all the heroes. They're not heroes. None of them are heroes. In fact, a lot of them are <laughs> God's the only hero. Yeah. Who did, who did he come? Who was Moses before God came along? He was a failed leader and a dumb shepherd. <laughs> you know, he just <laughs> had given his life up to being in the desert. Yeah. Who was, who was David? He was so insignificant, his own dad wouldn't bring him in. Yeah. <laughs> to consider <laughs> Samuel anointing him. Yeah. We need to understand that we're, we are, we're just like them. We're nobodies, but God does amazing things mm. if we will quit thinking we're anybody. Mm. And, and that's, when I look at my life, I think, good grief. Yeah. You took somebody who was an absolute abject failure when it came to anything spiritual. And I, whatever you, whatever you did, I still don't understand. I just try to wake up every day and do it. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, I don't, I don't, I, cause I, cause I can't comprehend yeah. the people talk about how does God change your life? That you'll, you'll only see it when you look back mm. and you'll only see it because every day you get up and you do what you ought to do. Just plow another section of your field. Mm. Do what you ought to do. Put him first in every part of your life. We've scheduled ourselves. You know, you talk about this, and one of the texts that we mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Please share. First Thessalonians four, verse eleven and twelve. Live a quiet life. Aspire to live a quiet life. Yeah. The idea of quiet is is something in which it is you're not causing a disturbance. That's the first thing that in the context he's, you know, because the Thessalonians did the second Thessalonians, he talks about they quit living a quiet life or busy bodies. Busy bodies yeah. Kind of yeah. One of the things, one of the things I've really had to work on in, in my life, especially as a preacher, is stop trying to control everything. Stop trying. You, you don't have to be involved in everything. You have one, you know, we all have a gift. Uh, I love what one of our elders said. We need to learn to stay in our lane. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Because I can tend to weave over buddies. You know, let me yeah. get involved in your lane. Let me get in your lane. You know, this yeah. instead of having confidence in our brothers and sisters that they're, you know, yeah, they're going to do some things a little differently than I might do. But they are working toward that goal, and I can be the one who supports them. And I don't have I don't have to be involved in everything. Yeah. 
I think one of the things, you know, you talk about a church that, that oftentimes is wobbling along and struggling and having difficulties. And a lot of times is people don't stay in their lane. They get real upset about, well, he's doing it over there and he's doing this over here and all of this. And, um, you know, back up and stay in what you're gifted at. Don't get involved in the things where you're not really gifted. And don't worry about the little stuff. It's okay. I, I may not. I, how many times have I worked with elders in which they made a decision to do something a particular way? And I thought, nah, I don't know if that's going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't, you know, but I, I've, I've learned, you know, let, let it go. Unless it's something that I think is going to actually hurt the church, but, mm. but usually it's not. Usually it's just another way of doing something. And a lot of times I was wrong. Yeah. It actually worked out quite well. Yeah. So. I think that, you know, living a quiet life is first that. But secondly, there's a great, great little proverb that's stuck in the middle of Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse, verses five and six, where um, the wise uh, preacher says, better is a handful with quietness than both hands full of travail and striving after the wind. Mm-hmm. We got both our hands full and and juggling it with our feet on top of it. I mean, we, <laughs> come on. No, you're absolutely right, Barry. Better is a handful with quietness. We really need to go on a budget when it comes to our time. I, I remember a, a few years ago hearing Jeff Wilson talk about fasting. Yes. And it was interesting to hear how he talked about it. He says, you know, we need a fast of our time. Yes. We need a fast of our uh, in involvements in things in life. And that's what the literal fasting was really trying to get us to do. Uh, and I thought it was such a great point. Yes. We need to understand. We need a fast from our iPhone. We need a fast from our electronics. We need a fast from the, the endless things. And we need to quit getting our kids loaded up the same way. I love sports. I love sports. I love activity. I love physical activity. I, I need it. I have to have it to keep me, my brain healthy. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, we get our kids so involved. Yeah. It's like, you know, we get this thing, this activity and this activity. Ooh, wait a minute. Yeah. What you do is you make the kids feel that they're the center of the universe. Yep. And then they become the center of the family. And then they become everything the family's about. And then they become me living through their successes. Mm-hmm. And you ask the question, how do people get to the point where they're not seeing what they ought to be seeing? That's how. That's how that works. And it starts very, very young. And we as parents got to be so very careful here. We rejoice in our children's successes. Yeah. But I always remember my dad. <laughs> I played baseball. I was in high school. Yeah. All this. I love baseball. And every now and then he, he, he'd have a chance to come to my game. And every day he came to my game. We're driving home after the game. And I, I did, did pretty well in the game. And he goes, ah, good game. <laughs> but see, when we get home, dad, as usual, would be sharing with us with the passion you could not even describe about something he'd learned new in the Bible. Yeah. So it's like sport. Yeah, good job. Good, now yeah. let me tell you about this. <laughs> and that rubbed off on us. That yeah. rubbed off on all four of our, my, my three siblings and everything. That was the key. Somebody said, make sure you teach your children. 
make sure you're passionate about God and sharing your passion with your children through the scriptures. That's going to make the difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I have about three more questions and, um, and let's see if we can get them all in. Uh, Barry, how do you rest? So this has been something, you know, I think that's been part of my uh, curiosity with 1 Thessalonians 4. I love that text in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, and for those who are watching, been taking a lot of notes, uh, had some other thoughts in here already. I think rest is one of those things too, you know, you think about God and what do we learn about God, you know, that he's put this in our, in the, in the rhythm of time. And I love Jeff Wilson as well. He's going to be at our congregation here uh, next month, uh, holding a meeting as, as a preacher. Uh, and I've only been preaching full-time for 13 years uh, compared to 51 years. Um, but it can, it can become challenging sometimes. Uh, you can have 10 studies in a week or five studies, or even if it's three and you still have responsibilities where Sunday is always coming. Sunday will be here no matter <laughs> what. And you have a big family, all right? Four children and you have a number of grandchildren. How do you rest? What does that look like for you? How do you do it? What, what are you doing uh, with respect to uh, boundaries that for preachers listening, they can learn something, but just whoever it may be, but in particular, I guess Christians as well, to find this time to rest so that we can hear more from God, right, through his word. Yeah, uh, that, I think that's extremely important. And, and it's important no matter what you do in your life and what, you know, what uh, you do for a living or whatever, but it's especially important with preachers. Um, we can turn our ministry into an idol. Mm where it is placed in the wrong spot. And uh, just like we can turn our children into one of our idols or even our wife or whatever. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9 verses 7 through 10 give an interesting order of things where he starts with your, your specifically with your relationship with God. You can, you can eat your food and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has accepted your works. So you're starting with the fact that you are in a right relationship with God. That's number one. Yep. That's always the superior. God is first. But how is God first? What's my relationship with God that's first? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily all the activities that go with that. Then he says, then rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a gift from God. He doesn't mention children, but obviously with a wife, you're probably going to have some children most of the time. And that, and then the final thing he gives is whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might. For there is nothing, you know, that happens after the grave, it's going to be gone. So you need to do it with your might. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at that, there, there's there's a uh, there's a priority list there. Yeah, that's starts great. with your relationship with God. Secondly, your relationship with your wife and your children, and then thirdly what you do as a work or your ministry. When we swap any of those things, take my children, put them at the top, my relationship down number two or three or yeah. wife or whatever, or even more easily done is take my job, my ministry, my career, whatever that is, and making that so very important that wife and children and God are somewhere else on that list. That's the most dangerous uh, part of all, and uh, and it happens all the time. 
So what, what I have to do is I have to realize that in my life, I have these that 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 order of priority I have to watch all the time. It I slip out of it very, very easily. Sometimes my wife will say, come to me and go, you know, you haven't taken any time off this week. I haven't. I'm having so much fun, you know. <laughs> and we haven't been together much this week. Oh, yeah. Wives are really good at that. And we need to listen. As men, we need to listen to that very, yes. very much. But I, you know, I have learned my, my, I, most of my life, my work week, I, I started, I it's like hit the ground running uh, Sunday. I do not take Mondays off. I work through Thursday. My hope is, and usually I put in a 50 to 55 hour week by Thursday night. And my hope is that I'm fairly free Friday. Uh, I mean, in fact, completely free Friday and maybe Saturday evening, I'm going to, get my brain back into ready for Sunday morning. But I like to work first because that's the way my parents always taught. You don't get to play until you work. So I like to get all that done. So I'm really, really focused. Then uh, then I can play and I can relax. If yeah. Teresa tries to get me, which she did a couple of times, did you take Monday off? <laughs> you feel totally awful. About halfway through the day, she looks at me and goes, you're not here, are you? And I said, no, <laughs> <laughs> no I'm not. Like you said, Sunday's coming and I yeah. got to be ready. That's right. But anyway, you know, rest is important. And, uh, and, and for me, and I think really it, it most, most people would be this way. If I don't get some real good sweat exercise, yeah. I, I do boot camp. Uh, I love to do hundred uh, yard dashes. Uh, that's one of my favorite. I love to play basketball. I need to get some good hour sweat every single day. Yeah. If I do that, I sleep good. Yeah. If I don't do that, I have aches and pains and I don't sleep good. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, and uh, I am asked all the time, how do you, how do you keep doing that, that level of activity at 73? Well, I never stopped. Yeah. Don't, don't stop. Don't stop. That's right. Don't st if you stop, stick a fork in you. You're done. Yeah. You know, that's it. So don't <laughs> stop. Anyway, you're right. Rest is important. If you get the priority right, okay. the rest will happen right. I love that. No, thank you for sharing that. Two more questions, if this if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. I don't know everybody who listens to the podcast. Uh, I'm sure there are individuals who are listening who may may not even know that much about Jesus. In just a few minutes, um, what would you want those individuals to know about this man named Jesus that we preach and believe in? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of ways you go with that, but I guess yeah. the one that pops to my mind the most is I remember Jesus in Matthew 25 when he gives the parable of the talents, and he has a five-talent and a two talent and a one talent man and uh, and and the one talent man you know he 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 just buries his in the ground doesn't do anything with it the five talent gains five more and the two talent gave two more and etc at the end of it when when the master of the house speaks of course picturing god on the day of judgment speaks to the five talent and the two talent man who took what god gave them and multiplied it he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you over many. And then says this, enter in to the joy of your Lord. 
That's interesting to me. Enter into the joy of your Lord. When you have not, when you do not have Jesus, and I mean have him in the sense that you're not just a church-going person, you know, you just go to church, make sure you check that box, but you really, he is part of your, he is everything in your life. You can't wait to spend time with him in learning about him and you're in the word and praying to him and talking to him. You have a joy that you never can duplicate in anything else you're doing in life. So you're, you're missing, you're missing life. Jesus said it well in Matthew, uh, Matthew's account in, in, in chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, 26. And he, he said, if a, if a person tries to save his life, he will lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. There's no, so you, you can, you, the devil can deceive us into thinking we found life. There was an old beer commercial back in the 70s or 80s that said, you only go around around once in life, so get all the gusto. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, first off, drinking that beer ain't going to get you all the gusto. But secondly, that's right. What a dumb statement. Yeah. You are not, if you try to get all the gusto, you're going to lose life. Mm. And anybody listening to this, all you got to do is look at what you have tried to attain and seek and find and obtain experience in this life. Yeah. It's gone, isn't it? Yep. And a lot of it, you're suffering consequences for. Yep. Because you chose things that screwed up your mind. Yeah. Life is not found in the physical. It's just not there. So that's why you want to seek Jesus, because he can give you life, not only forgiveness, but true life. Yeah. Thank you for that. Final question. I was listening to a podcast, uh, Essentialism podcast with uh, Greg McGowan, McGowan, if I pronounced his name correctly. Uh, He's got a book called Essentialism. He recently had uh, Tony Robbins. I've read some of his books. He asked him an interesting question. I've seen this before. I saw it on a night show clip on uh, YouTube. It was two different people. But they asked the question, uh, what happens? What do you think happens after you die? And I just thought that was an interesting question because I'm always curious. You know, you have these people who are celebrities and they're being asked this question. I saw this clip from uh, Keanu Reeves. He was asked the same question as well. So... I want you to share with us your thoughts, your beliefs. Um, what happens after we die? <laughs> That's the worst question you've asked so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, all I can tell you is what I read. Uh, I, I think the the thing that is uh, uh, is probably most beautiful is Philippians chapter one, uh, where Paul just you know, he says, uh, I don't know what I would choose uh, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Um, but to remain in the flesh with you is beneficial for you. Uh, and um, he said, and then, and then he makes that great statement, Philippians 121, where he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, 
everything he says there in 2 Corinthians 5 seems to say that uh, the moment after death, we'll be with the Lord. In some way, that's not the final reward, obviously. That, that hasn't happened yet, um, but uh, we'll be with the Lord. And somebody says, what about that uh, Luke 16 with the Hades and there's this side and this side and paradise over here and all that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, when Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talked about being caught up in the third heaven, he called it paradise. Interesting, you know. So I, I, I don't know any more than that. Um, we'll be with the Lord. Uh, you know, I love Revelation chapter 7. Yeah. He has that picture of that great multitude. And uh, I always thought it was kind of funny, you know, the Jehovah's Witness say the 144,000 are going to heaven, the great multitude is going to stay on earth. And yet Revelation 7 and 14 uh, actually say it's the opposite. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great multitudes in heaven. Uh, but uh, but there in uh, in Revelation uh, 7 and, and at the very end of that, uh, he actually says they're before the throne of God. And these are the ones who came through the tribulation, which he's, you know, he's talking about they've died. They've gone through this terrible tribulation or Roman persecution, whatever, and, and uh, maybe Jewish persecution. And they've gone through all of this and they're dead. And then he, and he says they're before the throne of God. And they are serving him day and night in his temple. And there's no tears, yeah. and there's no pain, and there's no sorrow, yeah. and all the former things are forgotten. Yeah. Oh man. Good. I have one of the things I've always wanted was to be able to go in the Oval Office of the White House. I'm sure that's never going to happen. But I've always thought that'd be really cool, especially if it was a president I really liked. <laughs> if I didn't like the president, I'm not sure I was excited about it. But I yeah. would have been the biggest, biggest kick out of going into the Oval Office. But think about what he just said there. Yeah. In the temple with him, serving him day and night in his temple. And all the former things are gone. And there's no tears. And there's no pain and there's no sorrow. And Satan is no more. He cannot touch you anymore. Yeah. That's the best of the best. <laughs> amen. amen. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I wanted a wanted a biblical perspective on it because you don't you won't get that in other places. Barry, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I think we could talk for a number of hours. Uh, yes. I want to be respectful of your time. Final thought to the audience before we say goodbye. Well, probably just summation of what I have, have said, but um, there is no joy without God. There just isn't. And all of us at some point in our lives, certainly me and previous before I really turned toward God, uh, decided I could, I could maybe find it somewhere else. And I discovered the same thing as Ecclesiastes says, as Solomon says in chapter two of Ecclesiastes, after it's all said and done, it was, it was vanity. It was like a breath that appeared for a short time and vanished away. 
There was some pleasure in it at the moment, but it's gone. And all I was doing was striving after the wind. Uh, that's life without God. You're chasing the wind. And what a waste of time. If you catch the wind, it'll kill you. <laughs> <I'm> catching. <laughs> yeah. Well, so thank you. That, Derek. That, that to me, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't know what else. If there's anything that any yeah. of us could ever plead with somebody else to yeah. understand is, is like Isaiah 55 begins says, why are you using your money to buy that which is not real food? Jesus is there offering you the real food, and it's without the cost of money. It's with the cost of changing your thoughts to match up to his thoughts. And the reason is his thoughts and his ways are better than yours. Take the better. Amen. Yeah. Barry, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on with me and uh, talking to me. physically together sometime. That yeah, good. yeah. I'd love to spend some time with you for sure in the future. And um, this has been very encouraging to me. I hope it's very encouraging. I know it will be to everyone and for everyone that has listened. So thank you so much. Uh, may God bless you and your family. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I, I, it's been a pleasure. You're welcome. All right. Take care, everybody. All right.